0: This is the Eurasian Enigma from the Davis Under the Davis Center, the Davis Center for
1: Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. At the age of 19, he decides to save his life by cooperating and turning in other people. At the same time, he's also trying to save his family. And uh, then he really makes treason his, his profession. but deep down he has loyalties. <laughs> And and this is loyalty to the family, that, that he still feels that something is wrong, that they rejected him.
0: Hi, and welcome to the Eurasian Enigma. I'm Chris Martin. And today I have the good fortune to be speaking to Professor Serhii Plohi, who's the Mihailo Hrushevsky Professor of Ukrainian History and Director of Harvard's Ukrainian Research Institute. He's also the author of a new book, The Man with the Poison Gun, a Cold War Spy Story, that he's here to discuss. Thanks so much for being with us, Professor.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: So this book is different from the books that you've published recently. So your previous three titles were a much bigger sort of national history of Ukraine, a book that dealt with the collapse of the USSR and the Yalta Conference. So I was wondering with this book, which tells a much more intimate story of a person's life, um, what compelled you to write this
1: story? Well, uh, I knew the story uh, probably for the last 20, 25 years. So it was in the early 90s that I first came across the first publication dealing with with Bogdan Stashinsky and his killing of two Ukrainian emigre politicians, nationalist politicians uh, who resided in Munich. And the killings took place in 1957 and 1959. So a new story in, in general terms. But then the CIA declassified a number of humans dealing with the Second World War, but also with the Cold War. And among those documents were some of the materials related to to that story. And one thing that was never fully discussed and that, that that was part of the intrigue that surrounded the story of Stashinsky was that he escaped to the West. They put him on trial. He received only eight years. He was released before on payroll and then disappeared. And the rumors were out there that it was the CIA who provided safe haven for him. That paid for his uh, surgery. He, he changed his appearance, and maybe was living somewhere in Cambridge, Massachusetts, or or maybe in Somerville. So I decided, okay, it's 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 interesting. So I went to DC. I checked those documents, and a big surprise was that the document that I came across came from 1976. And in 1976, the CIA was still arguing whether he was a bona fide de facto or not. And then I thought, okay, this is this is interesting. This is something new. And as I started to dig deeper, I, I realized that it's not just a compelling story, in a sense, a spy story. Uh, but it tells also about, about the Cold War. It tells a lot about the modus operandi of the intelligence services, Soviet and and West German and American, and also about the the cultures, the the, the political cultures of two camps in the Cold War.
0: So let's back up a little bit. For those people who are not as familiar with Stashinsky's story, what actually was his story? What was his role?
1: Well, he, he was 19 years old in 1950, When he was recruited by KGB, the name of the organization was different at that time, to work against the Ukrainian nationalist underground in Western Ukraine. So imagine this five years after the end of the Second World War. The red banner was on the Reichstag already in May of 1945. In 1950, the Soviet the superpower is still fighting resistance against itself within its own borders. So they recruit him in 1950. And then later they train him for work abroad. And eventually, the work abroad that he is doing, he is going after the same people against whom they wanted him to fight in Ukraine, now assassinating leaders of the immigration. And very interesting part of that story when it becomes where the connection appears between personal story of that particular student recruited and political culture of the Soviet Union and, and the leadership of the Soviet Union, because it's it's Nikita Khrushchev personally, who spent 10 years in Ukraine, who was fighting against a nationalist resistance there, who considers the, the leaders of the Ukrainian immigration to be his personal enemies. And when Stashinsky eventually succeeds in killing the most pro- probably important in terms of name, the most recognizable figure in in that resistance, Stepan Bandera, he is summoned to Moscow and received personally by the head of the KGB, Alexander Shlepin, who bestows an award, a high, high Soviet award on him. And then it becomes really interesting. Before that, he fell in love with a German woman. And there is certainly a love story of this assassin.
0: That's that's what I, one of my questions was that this story is really the mask. It's, there's a love story buried inside the the spy story, which is buried inside this sort of national picture, international picture of two countries fighting this cold war. And now Stashinsky himself is a complicated character. Mm -hmm. Stashinsky's own family Mm -hmm. was connected to sort of Ukrainian nationalist movements. Zyszynski's decision to go and and to join the KGB was in a way a betraying his own family.
1: It was, it was. It was, and uh, uh, today I can uh, talk about that even in more detail than I was able to to do that when I was writing the book. Because after the book was published, the Ukrainian Foreign Intelligence Service declassified and uh, put online archives Dylan Vestashinsky's history before he went to Germany. And uh, it turns out that the story is even more dramatic and, and more tragic than the way how I told it. From the very beginning, they wanted him to go after the leader of the local resistance, who happened to be also a fiancé of his sister. So, And they the, the idea was that the two would get married when there would be independent Ukraine, which was, of course... Uh, a dream, but uh, so that man after whom he went was de facto a member of, of of his family, and that's why that leader of the resistance took him into the into his own this underground unit without proper checks and things like that. he, he, he trusted him as a member of the family. And Tashinsky himself did that not with, without, of course, isolation, and, and, and certainly it, it wasn't easy for him. He was working for KGB already maybe for half a year, maybe longer than that, and providing them with the information that wasn't actionable. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, they actually approached him saying that he was he was working for both sides. And then to prove his loyalty he said he volunteered to go into into the forest and join that group so that that becomes even more strange weird and tragic and eventually he delivers that man he is he is rejected by his own family
0: so stashinsky does eventually get posted abroad and he has a very specific mission and that is to target and eliminate two gentlemen but one you've already mentioned Stepan Bandera who is the the sort of biggest name of the Ukrainian immigration mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that and this is where the whole book gets its name about right. this assassination right. that's done using a a poison gun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Well, they originally think that they would send him abroad and he would be, I don't know, a sleeper agent, Uh or in any case, he would be stationed in West Germany. It turned out that his German was not good enough for that, so he ended up, to be stationed in east berlin in the karlshorst the compound where the soviet military administration was and kgb headquarters were and then they would send him on uh, on missions to west germany it was before the berlin wall so it was relatively easy to go from east section of berlin to west section of berlin get on the on the plane and and go anywhere in the world uh, all intelligence services were using this this loophole, really. And he started with serving in support roles for the agents that were already there. So delivering instructions, delivering money, moral support, trying to help recruit other agents, Spying on the American military installations and so on and so forth, and then that whole thing changed, and it changed in the fall of nineteen fifty-seven, when they introduced him to a person who came from Moscow, who came with a wanted to show him a special device gadget that they had, and that was this: the spray gun it was a cylinder uh, loaded with a cyanide-based liquid that if you pull a trigger, it evaporizes. And the idea was that the assassin was supposed to aim into the face of the victim. The victim inhales that and dies on the spot, and the diagnosis would be a heart attack. So there there was no way to trace the elements of that poison. So it was really uh, one of the chapters of of the book is called Perfect Murder. So the murder where you can't... Can figure out. Um, Bandera turned out to be a person who treated his own security not, not, not very seriously. He was warned about possible assassinations. He said, okay, we are in state of war, so we, we, we have to keep going. And on that particular day and that particular moment when it happened, he came home without his bodyguard. He didn't want to wait for him, despite the fact that uh, his associates offered him, "Please wait a second. Your bodyguard will join you." He didn't do that. So uh, when uh, Stashinsky approached him in the in the entrance to the to the apartment building where he lived, he also, to a degree, panicked and put two triggers at the same time. So firing from two. Uh, from two barrels, and that turned actually to be, to be crucial in a sense that this time around, first of all, everyone was suspicious that the death was not natural, and they were able to detect some traces of cyanide. But then the question was, okay, if cyanide, that means that the maybe a person committed suicide. There were all sorts of theories, love stories, and uh, w- why he did that because of, of problems in the family, love for, for a new woman, this, that reason. Uh, but again, uh, no one no one knew about the existence of this, of this particular gun. It was never used before. So uh, everyone was puzzled and didn't know really what happened. And even people around... Bandera himself was suspicious that that could have been actually a suicide.
0: Now, Stashinsky obviously had accomplished his goal, and he he had pleased the heads of the security service. As you mentioned, he goes back to Moscow. He's given this uh, very big award, although completely in private, because no one can know that he did this. But what was the fallout of Bandera's death within the Ukrainian resistance?
1: Well, one thing that I learned while researching that book, that, again, uh, killing of, of a person is is not the goal in itself. Apparently, either this is, again, KGB in 1959, or you go after Fidel Castro in the 1960s, or uh, drones and targeted killings today, the goal is different and, and broader. And Uh, In that particular case, the goal was to remove uh, one of the most influential figures in this Ukrainian nationalist resistance and underground. They they, they were still trying to send people across the Iron Curtain into Ukraine. They were working with a number of intelligence services, first CAA, then MI6, it seems to me and eventually the the West German intelligence, but also to create a situation where there would be no leader, there would be a competition for leadership, Mm -hmm. and these people would be paralyzed by that. That was the goal. And what happened actually was was opposite, because uh, when Bandera was killed, and again, no one knew what happened, but everyone believed that 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 the KGB was behind that, even the the forces in the immigration who never accepted the radical nationalism of Bandera, um, liberal, leftist, pro-communist forces and others, they came together and to a degree they united because they they believed that all of them were the target, all of them were in danger. And that certainly helped to mobilize also the Ukrainian nationalist uh, immigration and that was at the time when Bandera's personal popularity and influence over events in Ukraine were really going down. Mm-hmm. And we have this this uh, interesting correspondence between CIA and British intelligence when they're saying, well, the worst thing that could be probably happen if the Soviets get to Bandera and kill him because they would turn him into, in, into a martyr.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in our conversation so far, we've sort of... May be painted inadvertently Stashinsky out to just be sort of an emotionless killer, but the reality is, is he really struggled with the fact that he was taking somebody's life. Can you talk a little bit about um, that struggle and how it maybe changed his opinion about who he was working for and what he was working to accomplish?
1: Well, it's an interesting situation in a sense that you see a person who, again, that happens to him at the age of 19, He decides to save his life by cooperating and turning in other people. At the same time, he's also trying to save his family. And uh, then he really makes treason his his profession. But deep down, he has loyalties, which which you wouldn't expect that that would be the case. And and this is loyalty to the family, that, that he still feels that something is wrong, that they rejected him. And then he meets this this young woman and falls in love. And everyone in KGB says this is this is a terrible career move. Don't do that. You 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 will regret that. And they try to stop him all the way, including the head of the KGB himself. He knows that she is anti Soviet, as anti Soviet as it gets. Her mother was raped a number of times when the Red Army moved moved there. Her father was proud that he that he hated the communists and so on and so forth they had all these exchanges and he insisted on marrying her
0: and they have no idea who he really is. That's the other yeah, thing. Exactly. Stashinsky exactly. is living as though he is... Uh,
1: Allegedly, he works for the East German Ministry of Trade as an interpreter from, from Polish into German and, and so on. And they don't know who he She doesn't know right. that. So he is there working for KGB. He's doing all these things. But deep down, he wants to be close to someone who he, he knows has a very different ideas. And her role in convincing him eventually to defect was extremely big because once they're stationed in Moscow for another training, she convinces him that, okay, the, this system is awful. And they, they start to talk about the, the possibility of jumping the ship. The next time he is sent abroad, he would not return. And it is at that point that they discover that their apartment supplied by KGB in Moscow was bugged. Mm
0: -hmm. Because at this point, she knows now who he is. Her family still doesn't know about his role, but they're living in Moscow together, and she is fully aware of who he is and what he does at this point. And he, in my reading of it, he begins to see this relationship between himself and his employers through her eyes. And I think that almost reinforces sort of the growing doubts that he has had about his future with them.
1: With her, he tells her that he was working for KGB but until very late she doesn't know what actually he did for the KGB. And it was only after the KGB decides, and they certainly listen to the conversations, then they insist that she is pregnant, they insist that she will do abortion, and they refuse to do that, and after that they decide, okay, that he is certainly not someone whom they want to send abroad. So now the KGB game changes, and instead of training him, To go abroad, they want him and her to stay in in the Soviet Union. And it, it is at that point that he tells her that actually he was an assassin. So that's 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 another shock that, that comes to her. Eventually they find the way how pregnant Inge was allowed to go for a short visit to parents in, in East Germany, but they would not let him go to see her. She gives birth to their child, they would not let him go to see the child, but then it suddenly changes and in most dramatic way. So their child dies uh, the, the child really died and they, they finally allow him to go, and uh, they allow him to go for one reason. He says that well, she is really upset. She had been demanding him coming there for a long period of time. Now his child gone, she can really go ballistic and, and start talking. And they sent him there to calm her down, to take and bring her back to Moscow. So that's the real thinking behind this humanitarian act of of allowing him to go and see her. And once he is there in Berlin, uh, he is, of course, a trained uh, operative. Uh, He immediately detects that he was followed. Then he comes up with a really crazy idea that my big surprise was that he makes this decision and convinces her to try to escape to the west before the funeral of the child because he says after the funeral we, we, we are done we are done we will be packed and, and sent back and it's it's the day before before the funeral of the child so he never saw him alive that they go to west berlin But the biggest surprise is that two hours after they did that, the construction of the Berlin Wall starts. So if they would wait for the funeral, whatever KGB does or doesn't do, the way into West Berlin would be be closed. closed. Now imagine someone coming to West Berlin, wants to talk to CIA and tells all this story, including the story that miraculously, two hours before they started the construction of the wall, he, he escaped and that on that day there is a funeral of, of his son, whether you would believe someone like that or not.
0: Well, the CIA didn't really believe him. Right? No, there was they, a lot they, they of back and forth. The story seemed too good to be true, and they didn't really want to have much to do with Stashinsky. He was trying to give them information, and they didn't want it. He gets turned over right. to the West
1: Germans. Right, right. And, 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 they, and they were not sure whether to believe him or not as late as 1976. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they also were not able to establish his identity. He shows up with three different documents, Soviet, two East Germans, one West German.
0: So Stashinsky is, as I mentioned, transferred to the West German authorities. He's put on trial for murder. Um, would we know his story if he hadn't affected, or would it still be a secret that was potentially lying in the KGB archives? Uh,
1: uh, no, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. And uh, the the killing of uh, kind of death under suspicious circumstances of Bandara is not the only case that we have. We have a number of deaths like that where we are suspicious, but we don't know really what happened and who was behind that. So I'm pretty sure that if he would stay for his son's funeral, we would know nothing about that. And you mentioned that he would put on trial. Certainly he, he, for him, that was a major, major shock. Because uh, he he had KGB on his back, so he was running for his life, and his understanding was that he was prepared to talk to the CIA and and tell them what what he knew about about his own the, the operations, the, the the killings that he conducted, and generally so so exchange information for for protection, and they didn't believe him, and they told him, okay. You kill those two people we were suspicious that one was killed, another died from natural causes. so if you say that you killed them, then you should go on trial. and the most again there are a lot of bizarre things in in, in that book, but one of them and, and strange things is that here is you see someone going in front of the court and judges and his main task is to convince them that he is guilty. Mm-hmm. So if he withdraws his, his testimony, if, if he says, okay, I, I didn't know what I was saying or I did that under duress or something like that, there was not enough evidence to go after him.
0: And then what happens to him, right? If he's not put into a West German prison, where does he go and who's after him Exactly, then,
1: exactly. Right? So basically, he keeps fighting for his life like he... Started when he was nineteen years old, make, making all these decisions. But now he he figures out that the safest place for him is in the German prison, okay. and he wants to be convicted. Okay. Uh, uh, so um, eventually, eventually, he, he was convicted and goes to prison, and goes apparently to the same prison where Hitler was in in, in Bavaria in uh, in the in the nineteen twenties.
0: You argue in the book that um, the publicity that comes from Stashinsky's testimony at his trial uh, changed how the Soviets fought the Cold War. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Well, uh, what happened was that um, it's not just an assassin who, who escapes. It's an assassin who was summoned to Moscow, who had a personal meeting with the head of the KGB, who can connect all these dots be- between the, the the killing in Munich and really the Kremlin and the members of Politburo. So it's a major, major blow against the prestige of the Soviet Union. It's also Khrushchev who is trying, after Stalin, to build some bridges with the, with the West, at the same time, of course, building not only bridges but also missiles, who presents himself as a fighter for the peace all over the world. And here is a witness who, who committed these the, the crimes and tells now, okay, the, the Politburo is involved in, in, in that kind of behavior in the West. So that was a major blow to the Soviet prestige and to the KGB. So as far as we know, 17 people were recalled. Some of them put on trial from the ranks of the KGB and KGB officers associated with with Stashinsky, including his handler. And what we see after that is that we don't have cases like that anymore. Uh, And after 1991... The KGB veterans are saying that really after that publicity, the Soviet Union decided not to, to go and after targets like, like Bandera and not to commit the killings abroad. As late as 2007, in connection with the uh, Litvinenko case in, in London, an official spokesperson for FSB, the, the Internal Security Service of Russia, stated that the KGB stopped assassination program after, after Bandera. And that, that apparently in, in, in the U.S. happened after the church report in the 1970s. So in the 1960s, we still see the CIA going after Fidel Castro and, and, and others.
0: And in a way, it's sort of an unintended legacy of Stashinsky himself.
1: Right. And actually, there is more than one. And if this one is positive, there was also one which was quite negative. And what happened at the trial, he received this relatively short prison sentence of eight years for two killings. A lot of people were surprised and even shocked. But the way how he got that, that relatively lenient treatment was that he was... Uh, perceived as as not a perpetrator himself, but an uh, accessory to the murder. So the the real guilty party was Shalapin. The real guilty party was was in Moscow. And uh, what you see almost immediately in the 60s and early 70s, a number of Nazi perpetrators, including people who were put on trial, who were in positions of authority in Auschwitz, were using the quote unquote Stashinsky defense. So eventually the, the West German Parliament changes the laws in the mid-70s, making it impossible to to use the Stashinsky defense. So and finally the political career of Alexander Shelepin himself, who was who wanted to succeed Khrushchev, who was really considered to be a much stronger leader than Brezhnev after after the ouster of Khrushchev in 1964. And it's the fact that he was convicted in West German court that made him made it almost impossible for him to travel abroad. Then when in mid-70s, he finally travels abroad as the leader of the Soviet trade unions on the invitation of the British trade unions. What you see in London are mass demonstrations against him that provides a pretext for Brezhnev to remove him from Politburo. So in in, in that sense, really what, what happened with Stashinsky changed uh Schleppin's career, but also I would say maybe uh, we would we would have a different leader uh, on the international arena in the nineteen seventies not Brezhnev but Shlepin again uh stashinsky was not the only factor in their mm-hmm. in the in their struggle, but that's certainly a factor that that helped Brezhnev to emerge victorious
0: now stashinsky's story itself ends a bit of a mystery as you alluded to in the very beginning, but what is your best guess? as to after those eight years in prison, what happened to Bogdan Stashinsky?
1: Well, one thing is that uh, it doesn't look that he lives in Somerville or or, 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 or in Cambridge. So it's it's, uh, judging by what what I was able to find in CIA files. Uh, I was able to do a telephone interview with the former head of the secret police in South Africa, and uh, he confirmed that Stashinsky was there in the 1970s. He confirmed also the information that he provided in the 1980s to the local newspapers that uh, Stashinsky's marriage uh, with, with Paul didn't survive all this. Another deal. heartbreak.
0: After, so, and your okay. Love
1: story. Right. So <laughs> eventually, eventually, she 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 divorced him. But uh, there is also a hope. Maybe she did that to throw off the KGB and others can, from for, 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 for from the uh, trial. But it looks like, if one believes that uh, general from South Africa, Stashinsky married a local woman there. And if he is still alive, my guess is that uh, that's probably where where he where one should look for him.
0: Okay. And here's the big finale question, which might be too difficult to answer. What you have ascertained, does it tell us anything about the sort of new world that we're living in, where we're thinking about espionage, we're thinking about spies, we're thinking about hackings that we didn't think about 10, 20 years ago that we thought maybe was over with, with the collapse of the USSR, but now we're seeing an antagonistic role for Russia, U.S. relations. Does this story tell us anything about um, what our expectations should be? Uh,
1: well, uh, there have been a lot of, a lot of uh, discussion recently whether we are in a new Cold War or not. And uh, looking from that very particular uh, perspective and, and taking this angle, uh, yes, we are. So, because what is happening today very much reminds me of what what uh, uh, was happening in the late 1950s and early 1960s. Uh, first of all, that uh, assassinations of political or, or targeted killings are back. They are practiced uh, by both sides. We know we know that. I mentioned Litvinenko case, in, in London we have a ruling of the. British court or a special commission that was created in that regard. But also what surprises us today in a sense of something that is called in the KGB parlance as active measures. This is disinformation and things like that. This is a thing that was certainly there in the late 1950s and early 1960s. It was at that time that a special department was created within the KGB, and Stashinsky's story, the way how the KGB was trying to spin it, and immediately after the killing of Bandera, not saying, okay, he died out of heart attack or or drinking too much and and, and hit his head or something like that, but immediately pointing finger at one of the ministers in the government, West German government, whom they disliked the most. Uh, His name was Oberlander. And with the trial and the press conferences that they have. So, so you see a lot of, a lot of things in back in the 50s and 60s that you recognize are happening today. So for whatever that was, again, this deep dive into the 50s and 60s in, in that world of espionage really convinced me that a lot of elements of the Cold War are really back
0: good way to end. It shows that we need to know our history. Thank you so much, Professor, for being with us today.
1: Oh, well, again, thanks. thanks. Thanks a lot, Chris.